In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. In the Gospel this morning, we hear this parable about the vine dressers who are given a vineyard and are asked to give an account or basically give some fruit back to the owner of the vineyard. And this vineyard is our soul. When we think about it, the soul that we have is one in which the Lord expects fruit. He expects the fruit of virtue, the fruit of repentance. That's why St. Gregory the theologian has a poem, and in it he begins the poem by saying, you have a job to do, soul, and a great one, if you like. Examine yourself, what it is, what it is you are and how you act, where you come from and where you are going to end. And whether to live is this very life you're living or something else besides. And so St. Gregory is saying, examine yourself, soul. See, is this, this earthly life all there is to it? Or is there more to it? Because oftentimes, like those vine dressers, we're living as if this earthly life is all there is. Because the vine, the owner of the vineyard has given those laborers freedom, he's giving them time, he's letting them work the vineyard as they please, they thought that the vineyard had become theirs. Just like sometimes we think that our soul and this life is simply ours to enjoy. Enjoy and enjoy the pleasures of this world. That's why we're so focused on the earthly. We're so focused on earthly things. And we forget. We forget what is to come. This month, uh, in the Coptic month and the, the little month, it's the, 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 the last month before the little month. It's focused on our preparation for Judgment Day to remind us the end is coming. And so do I have this in mind? And do I think of the virtues and the fruit that I'm expected to bear? One time um, I heard this sermon when I was a child and it stuck with me. And then I realized who it applied to or who, who, who was this person after he passed away. I'll share the story first. When um, this person was in uh, high school in Egypt, he asked his father of confession. He told him, Abuna, I want you to pray for me. I have my, you know, Sanawiya Amma exams, the final exams there. And it determines basically what he's going to go into. So the father said, okay, why do you want me to pray about this? He said, because I want to get into medical school. He said, okay, great. So let's suppose we pray and you get into medical school. Then what? He said, well, hopefully I get in and I do well and I graduate with good scores. And so the spiritual father said, okay, great, you graduate, then what? He said, well, hopefully I find a good job and eventually I can open my own clinic. He's like, wonderful, you have your own clinic now. Then what? He said, well, by that time, hopefully I, I find a spouse and I can start raising a family. He's like, great, now you have a clinic and a family and you have children to raise. Then what? And he said, well, I'll, I'll raise my children, put them in school, and hopefully they also have success. He says, okay, and then what? I'll marry my children. Okay, great, and then what? And so at that point, this young man looked at his father, confronted him. he's like, what do you want from me? I'm going to die. And so he's like, okay, and then what? And that was the point he was hitting at. Then what? Once you die, then what? This is what I'm supposed to think of now. Not when I'm, you know, on my deathbed. Not when I'm very old. 
because nobody knows the hour the Lord comes. And so he comes to these vine, vine dressers and he says, give me some fruit. And to keep that in mind, then what? I have a, I have freedom today. The Lord isn't here judging me every hour of my life. And because of that, I think I'm the owner of this life. And I can do whatever it is I want. And I forget, then what? The servants that he sent, he sent three servants. The servants that he sent represent, you know, he created Adam and Eve with the natural law within, the consciousness. What's within me that tells me, and we all have this, what's within me that tells me what is right and what is wrong. I know without anybody telling me, this is wrong, this is off. I know within me when I'm supposed to do good, and I have choices to make. When a, a, a situation for me to do good is presented before me, do I use it? When a situation to avoid evil is set before me, do I avoid it? I have a choice to make. And because this failed us, the natural law within us has failed us because our hearts were supposed to be hearts of flesh, but they turned into hearts of stone. The Lord came and gave us the written law to remind us so that it's no longer implicit, but it's physically there before our eyes so we can see. And so that was the second servant he sent. And then because that wasn't enough, he sent the prophets, the third servant, the prophets, who came and announced things to us. And we have all three in our lives. We have the implicit law, the natural law. We have the written commandments. And we have those around us, both the prophets written, but also those around us that remind us, that guide us, that teach us. And when that is not enough, He sends us His only begotten Son in order to live the way a human being is supposed to live. In order to show us the way by His life so we can follow Him. And then He says this part at the end of the, the parable and that's the part I'm just going to meditate on very briefly and uh, and we'll end. He shares this this part about the cornerstone. And he says that basically the stone that, that they've rejected uh, has become the chief cornerstone. And that stone, whoever falls on it will be broken, but whoever on it is falls will grind him to pieces. And historically, some uh, rabbinic stories say that, and this can't really be verified, but some of the stories in, in Jewish tradition is that that cornerstone, when they were building the temple of Solomon, they were building it, but they wanted no noise in the temple. And so they would prepare the stones far away and bring them and lay them there. So there was no hammering, there was no noise, they would just place the stones. And this one stone that they had prepared had no number on it, so they didn't know where it was supposed to be placed. And once they put up all the stones, they figured they, they had laid this stone away, they had rejected this stone, and they realized that was the cornerstone. And so they came and placed it there. The point of the story, whether it's real or not, it was a rejected stone. And the rejected stone represents our Lord Jesus Christ who were just rejected by the Jewish people. And the question in my own life is, do I live rejecting the chief cornerstone, our Lord Jesus Christ? Or do I see that He is the chief cornerstone in my life? He is the central part of my heart. He is in everything I do. He is the chief cornerstone in my studies. 
He is my, the chief cornerstone in my academic career. He is the chief cornerstone in my professional career. He is the chief cornerstone in my family, in my friends group, in my discussions, in my outings. Or do I reject him as the Jewish people did? Do I exclude him from my life as they did? Because then he says that stone will come and grind people eventually. They will fall on it or it will come from heaven and grind them. And what does this mean? If you look at the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, there's the vision that Nebuchadnezzar saw of a stone that was cut from a mountain without hand, and it fell on a statue, and that statue was ground to pieces. And the Lord Jesus Christ is referring to this to remind them. What is he trying to say? He's saying this stone that people fall over and are broken, is himself. In his humility, he comes and lays himself down here on this earth, and we trip over him. In the sense of, we reject the natural law, we reject the written law, we reject the teachings of the prophets and the guidance around us, and we do what it is we want. And in order to correct us, we go through pain, we go through trials, we go through difficulties sometimes that he may lead us to repentance. And so we're broken. That's the breaking that he's speaking about. When I fall upon him, I'm a little bit broken. He tries to awaken me to repentance. But there will come a time when that stone, my Lord Jesus Christ, will come from heaven. And if he comes from heaven, then whoever he falls upon, those who are still living in their sin, those who are not offering a life of repentance, he will come and grind them to pieces. What's he saying here is that this life here, I have an opportunity to repent. And the trials I go through, I can grumble and complain about, or I can use these as means to awakening myself, to turn to him. But there will come a time when he will come for judgment. And when he comes from heaven, if I'm not ready then he will grind me to pieces because then I cannot repent because then the hour of repentance is gone. Then the chance for repentance is done. And so this parable here is one telling me to bear fruit but also reminding me of the hour and to always live in expectation of it offering repentance. Do I live this way on a daily basis? There's a story that I'll end with that or an analogy that John of Damascus, the Eastern saint, gives. He says there was once this kingdom that had an odd custom. Every year, they would choose a king. And this king would reign in the kingdom, free to do whatever it is he wants. But at the end of the year, the one condition for him to reign was at the end of the year, he would be taken and exiled to this remote, con uh, remote island that was secluded with nothing on it. And so a king would come, reign, enjoy the pleasures of the kingdom. And then at the end of the year, he would be terrified because now he knows he's going to this island to die. There's nothing there. And so year after year, a king would come, reign, enjoy things, and then he would be mocked as he was being dethroned and thrown on this island. And then one year, a wise king came and ruled. And he used that year of his reign to build things on the island that he was going to, palaces and gardens and preparing it. And at the end of his reign, people were envious of him instead of mocking him. 
And he was looking forward to it instead of trembling like the other kings and being terrified because he had prepared this place that he was going to go to for himself. He had prepared it so that when he goes, he has everything he needs. It's a great kingdom for himself that he's prepared. He used that one year of rain to prepare where he was going to be the rest of his life. And so this is our journey here. One in which we're here for a brief time. Like that king, we're here for a year, ten years, a hundred years. It doesn't matter. But it's a brief time. And at the end of it, we're going to be sent elsewhere. I can either be terrified of where I'm being sent because I'm living this life, enjoying the pleasures here and forgetting to build there. Or I can be like that wise king, which I'm called to be. Not like that wise king. Yes, living here, enjoying things here, but mindful always of where I'm going, preparing, laying up treasures in heaven as the Lord teaches me, so that when I'm called, when that stone comes from heaven, I rejoice because it will not grind me to powder. I've lived the life of repentance here, and I'm prepared to go live with Him eternally. May God grant us the wisdom to realize that this life, has been given to us for repentance, as St. Isaac the Syrian says, do not waste it in vain pursuits. And so he says this to us, let us not waste our life in vain pursuits. Let us not waste it thinking that it is ours alone. The money I have, the car I have, the house I have, the family I have, it's not mine, but it's a stewardship, and I will give an account for it. And the very soul I have, I will give an account for. Let me prepare laying up treasures in heaven that... When that stone comes, I may not be ground to pieces, but receive joyfully in the heavenly kingdom. And to our God be the glory now and ever, and unto the ages of the ages. Amen.